You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can find notes for this message along with more information about our church by visiting church2911.com. Here's our lead pastor, Rick Hand, with this week's message. Okay, so I got a lot to say this morning. Um, and uh, I, I kept trying to find places to cut, so I, I, I might be 100 miles an hour. I don't know. We'll see, okay? But uh, this sermon series, you know, we've talked, we've talked about faith and how faith is not supposed to just be something you believe or that you hear about. You know, we talk about it on Sunday morning and we get more and more of it, you know, that's supposed to actually change our life, you know, and how we live our life. And we talked about prayer, how prayer is not something we do every once in a while. It's something we do all day long. We're, we stay in constant communication with God. You know, we talked about God's word and how, how his word, you know, with what Jesus said, go back and listen to the sermon if you missed it about how his word is, the, the Bible is about relationships, our relationship to him and our relationship to everyone else in this world. You know, and, and then last week we talked about salvation. And, and, and salvation is uh, not just something to make our, our eternal life, you know, settled, but it's also about changing this life that we have right here, right now. And sometimes when we hear that, we think, well, yeah, God's going to make my life better. Okay, he wants to make your life better, but he also wants to make you better. So that all the people who live with you and have to put up with you, he can make your life better so that they can stand to put up with you. I mean, he doesn't just want to make our life better. He wants to make us better. And so now we get to this Christian life. That's what we're talking about this morning. And, um, and, and this Christian life, it, it changes things. He gave us a new life. Now, why would he call it a new life unless something changes? I mean, if, if it looks like the same one, if it acts like the same one, if it feels like the same one, the life that we had before we met, then it's met Jesus, then it's not a new life. The newness means that there's something different about it, okay? And that's what I want to talk to you about real quickly, three things, and I hope to do the first two really, really quick. Here's the first one right here, is that this life in Jesus changes our motivations, it changes our appetites, it changes our desires. In other words... It makes us want to be righteous. And righteous just means doing and acting and saying and upholding right things. Okay? And uh, let me throw some scripture at you real quick. Romans 6, 15. Shall we sin? Shall, uh, the old King James says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I like those last two words. God forbid. No. He didn't save us from sin so we could just keep sinning. Romans, uh, sinning. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. In 2 Corinthians 3, 17, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, I told you last week, we talked about this. Uh, I told you last week I've had a lot of people uh, over the years of my ministry how they have used that scripture to say, well, what, what salvation does, salvation makes me free. Uh, how do you say, bring that up. Salvation brings freedom for doing as we please. That's the way I've heard a lot of people explain that. And as you look and say, oh, okay, I get that. But we looked at it last week in context, and then we went to verse 18 and said, wait a minute, that's not what that means, is it? It's not, it's not bringing freedom for doing as we please. It's bringing freedom from doing as we please. Because our old man, even though we got this new life, we got this old man that just keeps trying to take over again, our old passions, our old lusts, and it keeps trying to take over again. But what salvation does is gives us freedom from that old man trying to do as it pleases inside of us. Uh, not too long ago, I was in a conversation with, uh, with 
the leader of our prayer ministry here, Kurt, and he shared something with me from a book. I've not read the book, John Bevere's book, The, the Awe of God. And he talked about a, a, a conversation that he had with, with Jim Baker, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, okay? Some of you know that name. You remember them when they were, they were in ministry, and ministry was going really good. For some of you, I know it's ancient history. You never heard the, the names ever in your life. Let me say this, set this up a little bit. They were in ministry, and everything was going great. They were some of the most popular people in church, you know, church circles in the whole country, maybe even in the whole world. That people knew these names. And uh, somewhere along the line, things get out of kilter. Uh, just cut to the chase real quick to make the long story short. Jim ends up actually going to jail for bilking his followers out of a lot of money. Okay? And so John Bevere now, after Jim's out of, been out of prison for quite a few years, he's been out now, and John Bevere is talking to him, and he asks him his question. He asks him, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? Would you like to know his response? <laughs> I mean, here's what he said in response to that. He said, I didn't fall out of love with Jesus. John, I loved Jesus the entire time. John, I didn't fear God. I loved Jesus, but I didn't fear God. And then John Bevere says there was about 15-second pause. And I, and I think John Bevere went from anger when he first said that. How, you know, like, how could you love Jesus and, and do all the things you were doing to, wait, wait a minute, he's saying something here I need to listen to. And then after about 15 seconds, Jim Baker continues and he says, John, there are millions of Americans just like me. They love Jesus, but they don't fear God. What a scary place to be. Let us make sure, come on, in, in all of our gathering of information about faith and prayer and, and God's Word, in all, of our, in all of our studies and all of that, let us make sure that we don't just fall in love with Jesus, that we also understand he is the authority of this universe. That God's word tells us how to live. And, 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 you know, it's not just, well, we can pick and choose those things that we want to do and those things that we don't. But there's, we were talking about this just, just yesterday, maybe the day before, about how, how, how God has set rules and laws in, into nature that are also in the spirit nature. And you can't break those rules that, that you know, like sowing and reaping. I think that's one of the biggest ones. If you sow bad, you're going to reap bad. If you, sow wild, if you sow wild oats, you're going to reap wild oats. You cannot sow evil and expect to reap a harvest of good. Uh, you, we, we've got to make, so I, I want us to make sure, you know, because I, I won't really hur hurry past this, but I, I want you to understand, when you become a Christian and you get this new life, it is going to change your appetites and your passions. It's going to, and then, and then this, this new man inside of you, he, this new man is going to want to do what is right, but that old man is going to keep coming back, and you have to do what that scripture said a moment ago. You have to crucify those passions and desires and keep putting those things down because he has given you new life. We aren't to continue in that. Let us make sure we don't just love Jesus, but that we honor him for the authority and who he is. Secondly, here's the other thing. I said I was going to hurry through this. This is going to be a lot quicker, okay, is that... This life in Jesus, this new life, gives us more impact. In other words, what I'm saying here is it gives us power and it gives us anointing, okay? It gives us more impact in our life. I, I started to just put power there, but I thought, no, what, what is the purpose of power? So we can have impact. What is the purpose of anointing? So we can have impact. Let me just read you. And these are just, just little phrases almost out of some, you know, two verses of Scripture and uh, nine verses of Scripture there. You know, look, I have given you authority over all the power, all the power of the enemy. Think about that. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. And he's not talking about just 12 disciples. 
Those who believe these signs will follow. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and I'm not going to spend any time here. I, I, I want to remind you, you get power. You get anointing in this new life. You do. You get this in this new life. But don't chase after the power. I, I, I've seen a lot of people do that, but that's not what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those other things that you need is going to be taken care of. They'll be added to you. So don't, don't, seek, don't seek the power. Seek him because the power comes. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a, me trying to talk you into loving your grandma's cooking. You know, I, I mean, yeah, we love grandma's cooking, but if, if all you do is love grandma's cooking, you miss the joy of who grandma is. You miss the beauty of who she is, or you miss the history of all that she can, has, uh, has experienced and she can pour into you. I, I mean, fall in love with grandma, and then the cooking comes as well, right? In the same way with God. Don't just fall in love with what he can do for you. Fall in love with him, and the what he can do for you comes along with that. You have power. You have anointing through this new life. And, and, and if you want to study that, if you'll go... Go to the sermon notes. All of those links are there. You can click on them and it takes you right to all the verses, not just those little bits and pieces. I just wanted to bring a little bit of, remind you, you have power and anointing. And if you aren't feeling that and living in that, then, you know, something's not right there. Okay, so let's, let's figure out what that is and let's chase after him because he said all these things come. All these things come if you seek him first. Okay, so here's the third thing that it does. This is the one I really want to spend my time on. So that's why I hurried through the first two, okay? Is this. Here's the third one. This new life through Jesus creates a new attitude and a new focus. In other words, selflessness. This is the new attitude it gives us. This is the new focus it gives us. Selflessness. Yet, I, I'm, not, I'm not as young as I look. I'm... I'm I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> I don't look as young as I used to look. So, you know, I can say all those things in a lot of different ways. I've been around the block a few times in ministry. And I'll tell you something I'm seeing. I'm seeing the Christian world grow more and more selfish when we're supposed to be growing more and more selfless. And you know what? And I'm hearing people say, well, I'm just not a people person. Y'all ever heard anybody say that? Yeah. There are two things that I am tempted to say whenever somebody tells me they are not a people person. You know, the first one is this. When somebody says, I'm not a people person, I want to say, yeah, we can tell. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> we know. You don't have to tell us. We know. Yeah. All right? But you remember, you remember when Jesus told us about those two greatest commandments? There, and we read that where Jesus said what the two greatest commandments were. But there's another place in Scripture where he asks, a guy asks him a question, and then Jesus throws it back at him and says, well, tell me what you read in, in the law. And, and this guy says the same thing Jesus did, these two great commandments. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And the second one is, love your neighbors yourself. Okay? So what does that mean? If the second greatest commandment, according to Jesus, is to love your neighbor as yourself, then how do I say, well, I'm just not a people person? No, no, let me tell you. This new man in Jesus, this new life in Jesus as you get, is going to work on you to help you become a people person. It's going to fix that in you. Because here's the second thing I am tempted to say when everybody, whenever somebody tells me they're not a people person. It is this. It is like, that is not an excuse. It's a defect. 
Okay? Because we want to use it as, well, I'm just not a people person, you know, so I'm just going to do my thing. No, God, God created us. We are social beings. Okay, we are. And listen, that doesn't mean that God's going to make you the life of the party. That that all, because we're all, we all can't be the life of the party, right? Because there would be a whole lot of jealousy going on right then, right? He's not going to make you the life of the party. He's not going to change that about you. But you are supposed to be connecting with people that are hurting. You're supposed to be connecting and reaching out with people that, that are struggling. Is you, don't, you don't just get to do your thing on Sunday morning and go home and claim to be a Christian the rest of the week. I mean, we're supposed to be, oh, and here we can set it up right here, okay? Here's the first thing, okay? Is that we're supposed to be givers. That's the th- that is the thing that this new attitude of selflessness, we're supposed to be giving people. Let me take you to scripture, Haggai. Haggai, this is, <laughs> I preach from here a good bit. I, I don't know if I preach here uh, 2911 very much on this, but <laughs> in Haggai, God sends the prophet Haggai, and he tells them this. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Let that sit there for just a moment. He was, you know, this week I really wanted to say he was ticked, but I I I really don't have permission to say he was ticked. I mean, I didn't feel that in my spirit to say he was ticked. But he was bothered about it. God bothered about it because he sent a prophet to tell him, why are you living in your luxurious houses? I mean, I meant the, uh, the old King James, I think, says sealed houses like ceilings and stuff like that. I mean, or paneled houses. But that's what he meant. He meant luxurious houses. Why are you doing here? Here's why are you doing that while my house lies in ruins? Here's where this connects with us is right here. Like Israel, our lives are mortgaged to the point of not being able to support ministry or help anyone besides ourselves. Let that sit there for a minute. We've mortgaged ourselves to the place where I, 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 I just can't whatever. I mean, whatever the need is, I, I, just don't have, I, I just don't have the funds. I don't have the ability. I don't have the availability. We have mortgaged, we have mortgaged our lives, not just, not just our houses, but our lives to the point that, that we, we can't support ministry anymore. We can't, we can't uh, uh, be there for anybody else except ourselves. Now, we can take care of all those bills, right? But those we can't do. And that's not what this new life in Christ is about. It's not about getting all you can and canning all you get. It's about ministering to those who are in need. Let me, let me show you another part of this, okay? Because it's not just to be a giving person. Secondly, it's to see people. We have also mortgaged our calendar to the point where we can't help others. Oh, it is quiet in here now. But it's a mortgage, our calendar. What in the world that, does that mean? Think about it, okay? What have we done? I mean, what do you do when you mortgage? You borrow against tomorrow, right? You know, and you put yourself in a hole, you know, and I got to pay all this, pay all this, do all this, right? That's what we've done with our calendars too. Our schedules are so full, we are borrowing against tomorrow. And we don't have anything that we can pay today. I, I, I just don't have time. I, you know, I'll get around to it, you know, maybe, maybe one day, but, but not right now. We have mortgaged our calendars to the place that we just can't do anything for anybody else except, again, except ourselves. You know, I don't know how many times I've said this. I, don't me- I-, I wish I remember who said it first to me. But, you know, we will find time to do whatever is important to us. But as a child of God, what is important to us now should be everybody that Jesus sees that is in need. 
But he doesn't just see them, he calls us to see them. And if we're supposed to be Christ-like, can I show you how many people Jesus saw? I mean, I, I looked. I looked through, I looked through the, the miracles that he did in preparing this sermon. I looked through all of them. And, and there were some people that, that they came to Jesus. There were some people that were brought to Jesus. And there were some people that cried out to Jesus, hey, Jesus, have mercy on me. So all that. But there are so many more that Jesus saw, like Zacchaeus. Man climbed up in a tree to see Jesus, and Jesus saw him up in the tree. Nobody else was paying attention to the little runt up in the tree, but he saw him. You know, or there was that lame man at the, at the pool of Bethesda that, that nobody was there to help him, but Jesus saw him. Or there was that blind man in Jerusalem, and nobody had been able to help him, but Jesus saw him. Or there was that woman that had been lame for 18 years, Jesus saw her. Or that woman with, the, with that uh, disease. For 12 years, Jesus saw her. It says in the middle of this crowd when the disciples are saying, wait a minute, Jesus, you expect us to find one person? Jesus did. He saw one person in the middle of that crowd. He saw that lady that had been sick for 12 years. He saw the woman at the well that nobody else wanted to see. Read it. See what, see what we're talking about. Nobody else wanted to see her. They didn't, didn't even want her to be around. They were, would have been happy. The people of her village would have been happy for her to go somewhere and we never have to see you again. But Jesus saw her. Oh, listen to that. Think about that. Think about what that would mean in translation into our lives today of the people that nobody wants to see, but that Jesus wants us to see. Or that widow of name. You know, that, that now she's, she's already buried her husband, and now today she's burying her uh, only son. And what would we have done that day there in the streets? Well, I know what we would have done. We, you know, we would have stepped to the side of the road and let her pass, right? I mean, that's what we do here in the south, right? Funeral comes down the road. What do you do? You pull off the side of the road and let them pass. Do we still do that? You know, but that's what we would have probably done there. But Jesus didn't. He stayed. It's like, I, I mean, okay, this, it doesn't say that he stepped in the middle of the road. That's just the way I see this story. I see him just stepping in the middle of the road, just stopping. He puts his hand on the casket. He's not supposed to do that. Old Testament law said, you're not supposed to do that, Jesus. But he sees this lady, and he gives to her the very thing that she needs the most. She gets a miracle that day. Why? Because of everybody that's maybe stepping out of the way, Jesus sees her. And Jesus sees 5,000 hungry families. What does he do? He feeds them. And again, he sees 4,000 families another time, and he feeds them. He sees a, a group of fishermen who were unsuccessful all night long. They'd been fishing. And Jesus sees them, and he fills up their boats. But he sees them twice. And he fills up their boats twice. He looks over the entire city of Jerusalem at one point, and he weeps because, oh, how often, how often I wish I could just gather you in and you could just listen to God. And he weeps over them. He saw the whole city of Jerusalem. Jesus saw all of those people. But you know, the one thing I think that, that makes me feel like I need to see people more than any of those stories is this story, is that he also saw me. And he saw you. And he saw us in the middle of all the stuff that we're dealing with and all the struggles that we're having. And maybe in the middle of, of everybody else that knows how to get in touch with Jesus. And, and we're just this one person in the middle and he sees us in the middle of that. And because of that reason, that's why you and I need to see people. And you know that, that, that scripture just a couple moments ago, Luke 10 and 27, where that man stated that. You know, the, the, the two important, the, the two greatest commandments. Right after that, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember that story? It's a story about two religious people seeing somebody on the side of the road in need, 
and they passed by on the other side. And then a Samaritan guy, he sees him and he goes to him and he takes care of, he takes care of him more than anybody I've ever taken care of in my whole life. I don't think, even when my wife has been sick, I don't know, I, I didn't take as much, as good care of her probably as that guy did of that guy that day. I mean, Jesus tells us a story, probably a parable made up that might have not really happened, but he wants us to understand this is what it really means. And you know how he wraps that up in verse 37? When he talks about this guy, not the religious people, but this guy who goes over and, and takes care of him and he makes sure he's got a place to stay that night and he says, I'll pay more when I come tomorrow and all that. You know what he says in verse 37, how he wraps that up? He says, go and do likewise. Go see people, but don't just see people. Here's the third part of this one. See people and do something. See people and do something. That's what this new life in Christ, this new attitude and focus about selflessness is all about. I, I, I said a few weeks ago, and I've said it a couple of times in this sermon series. Too many of us today are looking for a church to minister to us instead of a church we can minister in. Few of us are looking for a place to get dirty. Few of us are looking for a place to sweat. Few of us these days are looking for a place to sacrifice, to minister, to be a blessing, to share, to help, to serve. It's all about oh, what's best for me instead of that. Getting quiet again. Too few of us, but you know, remember Jesus getting his hands dirty making some mud to heal a blind man. I remember Jesus sweating drops of blood the night. I remember my father-in-law used to like to talk about that night that he bargained for your soul in Gethsemane before he died on the cross the next day. And he sweated drops of blood. He didn't just sweat, sweat. He sweated drops of blood. And, and, and where do we, we, we we're going to be Christians? We're going to be Christ-like? Then we got to find our place to get our hands dirty because ministry doesn't happen in hygienic areas most of the time places that everything is perfect and everything is wonderful and that the air conditioning is running and that everybody's comfortable it doesn't happen there we need to find that place Paul Paul dealt with this and this is a little lengthy I, I started to cut this down but I decided no I'll just read the whole thing Paul dealt with this, this attitude also because we understand, beginning at verse 11, because we understand our feel, fearful responsibility of the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere. He's talking about his own ministry now and the guys with him. I hope you know this too. Now, are we commending ourselves to you again? No, 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 no. That's not, not just trying to commend ourselves to you again. I'm making a point, he's saying. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us. Look at this. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Whoa. There's so much emphasis putting on, uh, uh, that's put on the flash these days. You know, the beautiful, the, you know, the, the best. We got, we got to call it over the past couple of decades, we got to call it the dog and pony show. You know, if we get caught up in that, you know, having to have the best dog and pony show every week, man, you know what? That means next week has got to be better than it was this week. Can I tell you something? I want to have great music. But more than that, I want to have great worship. I want to have great gatherings at 2911. But more than that, I want to have great connections. 
I, I want to have great sermon illustrations for you, but more than that, I want to have powerful sermons. You see, we've, we put the emphasis on spectacular ministry, but God puts the emphasis on heart. So where's your heart? I, 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 I got to hurry. Two questions for you r- right here real quick. Are people better off from being around me? And am I part of the problem or the solution? Two questions for yourself today. I mean, are people better being around you? Because let me tell you something, okay? Christians, let me tell you something. This afternoon when you go out to eat, it is not your responsibility as Christ's follower to make sure that your waitress knows she is stupid. That's not your job. What would be your job when a, when a waitress is having a tough time? This, this week when, when that teenager is making your milkshake, it is not your job to tell him he is the slowest fast food worker you've ever seen in your life. It's not your job. What is your job? What is the point? I, I read this. I, I got to tell this quick, but I read this uh, just, just here recently. This guy gave us some tips of, of, you know, if you've got a problem. He said this is the way he gets his technical problems solved, technology type problems. He says, he says I, I go online and, you know, I post. Everybody posts stuff, you know, like I got a question here, what? But he says here, here's the way he does it. does it a little different now these days. And he says it's become highly successful for him. He says I post my question, and then I go back in under another username, and I post an answer that is wrong. And he said, I get a ton of responses to that. And I get them a whole lot faster. And then he gives, we already know the answer, but he gives us the reason why that happens is because there are so many more people out there ready to tell you when you are wrong than there are actually people out there willing to help when you're in need. And is that where we are? We need to remember, our job is not to point out where everybody is wrong. We, we thought that a few decades ago, but that's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So don't take his job. Our job is to minister. Look, look right here. When Jesus says he's coming, let me take, go to that scripture. Jesus says when he comes in his glory, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me all right but here's i've got a question about this these verses right here when did jesus tell us to feed the hungry okay exactly you give me a scripture where he said go feed the hungry if if there's one there i've missed it okay when did when did jesus say if you see somebody that needs clothes go buy them some clothes and give to them i don't recall jesus specifically saying that so therefore what i understand then that's a given. We understand we ought to do that. Why do we understand we ought to do that? Because that's part of the second greatest commandment is to love others as ourselves. And what does that mean? What does that mean? You know what happens? You know what I do when I get hungry? I feed myself. You know what I do when, when my clothes wear out or I need a new pair of shoes? I go buy me some clothes or shoes, then what am I supposed to do? In light of the second greatest commandment, 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Then what am I supposed to do when I see someone that is hungry? What am I supposed to do when I see someone who needs clothes? What am I supposed to do when I see someone who is in the hospital or even knowing someone in jail, in prison? What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to do to them exactly what I would do for my own self in that situation. Thanks for listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a need, we would love to pray with you. You can connect with our prayer team by emailing prayer at church2911.com or by texting 205-476-2911. You can learn more about our church by visiting us online at church2911.com and by connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram at church2911. We hope this message has encouraged you and reminded you that God loves you and has an amazing dream for your life. As always, we dare you to dream.